you know, when you talk about Jonah, you have to start with a discussion of Nineveh. But it isn't really about Nineveh. To be fair, it's not a story about Jonah either. And it's not about a fish or a whale or a big beastie in the water. It's not even prophecy. The book's not even about, the book is about, the book is not about a lot of things. Almost everything we've made it about, it's not what the book is about. But I digress. Nineveh. Let's get back to Nineveh. Please remember that the time of Jonah, most people would have been living in a tent if they were wealthy. Otherwise, you slept outside under a tree, under a rock, a ledge, somehow trying to get some... You didn't even have a house back in that time. Most, only rich people had houses because you had to make bricks and you didn't have teens to make concrete blocks. So you, had, you, you were on your own there. Nineveh was amazing. One of the oldest civilizations on the planet. There was a city there in 3500 BC. Think about that. Nearly twice as long before Jesus as there has been after Jesus. And there was a city in Nineveh. A guy... The guy that built it was named Nimrod. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and I don't know how or where the name Nimrod got to be meaning idiot or something. But in the ancient days, it was a fearsome name. And you talked about Nimrod and everybody quaked because he was a mighty warrior. It was written, its name was written, Nineveh, with two symbols. Remember that most languages at that time and great many of them today, are not alphabetic. They use symbols. And the two symbols were for a water enclosure and a fish. You might want to cue foreshadowing music here. It was trapezoid in shape. Look it up if you didn't go into high school geometry. It was trapezoid. By the way, geometry is where I, I learned that not everybody has my sense of humor. Um, because I, I came and they, they said you had to prove it was a, a circle. Seriously? I thought that was pretty much understood at that point, but you had to do geometric proofs. Do you remember those? So I showed up the next day with a signed affidavit from four witnesses that that was a circle. And, um, <laughs> and that's where I careened out of control, I think. Um, trapezoid, walls of different lengths, totally all around eight miles. Now, that's huge, especially for the ancient times. You think of the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem at this time would have had about 4,000 people in it. 4,000. Nineveh had 174,000. There was just nothing like it on the planet. In fact, greater Nineveh, the, the area around it, had 600,000. Hugely powerful kings ruled that city. People such as Tiglath, who you probably don't know unless you do ancient history, but again, what an incredible king. Or Sargon, which many more of you might have heard of. Names that resonate with extreme cruelty that brought pain and slavery and domination upon every civilization they encountered. There was a huge palace in the middle. It had just been built by the time of Jonah. Huge, on top of a high mound, two 
2,000 square yards of living space. Try to get that in our heads. 2,000 square yards. Just the ticket for your high-class, bloody, cruel, evil, dominating despot. And that's who was there, Sennacherib, one of the most chilling names in all ancient history. The walls of the city. Now, again, remember, you've never seen a wall except for a rich person's house, which would have been a hut, one or two rooms, maybe with a courtyard. But that, even at this stage in history, they weren't doing courtyards unless you were Nineveh. And you're a, tra a desert traveler, and you come upon the city with walls eight miles around, different shaped. It's as if every science fiction movie you've ever seen has just dropped in front of you. You have no point of reference for this. The walls were between 50 and 64 feet thick and 100 feet high. I, I just can't get over, you know, it's, it's rather, some of you went to see Interstellar. And you, you, you remember that one scene where he drops, he goes to the singularity and he's in a tesseract, which is a big memory thing. And you might have looked upon that and gone, well, that's really weird. That's about what a traveler would have thought coming upon this. What, this, this can't not be of this world. The prophet Nahum, as we'll look at him in a couple of weeks here, called it a bloody city full of lies and robbery with the noise of rattling wheels, jumping chariots, and prancing horses. Now, I want you to think about Jonah. God goes to Jonah, and he says, got an idea. I want to send you on your own to Nineveh to preach against it and tell him, you're so violent, you offend my God. Now, Jonah, for some reason, thought this was a bad idea. Who wouldn't? You can almost see, because jo Jonah was not a pleasant person anyway. And, and he goes, me, Nineveh, can we discuss this? Can you find somebody else? It's a big, violent city. And you want me to go say, you stop being big and violent, you bully. Better idea. God, you destroy them, I'll go on a cruise. You know, I got to tell you, I'm with Jonah right here. I'm thinking the cruise sounds great. It really does. Like, you know, God wants to destroy it. He's picked the wrong guy. God says, no, you go. And Jonah says to God, you know this isn't going to work. How many times have we said that to God? We start a plan. We're going to do an outreach. We're going to do this. And then we're going, oh, we don't have the money. We don't have the time. And you know people won't show up. You know this isn't going to work, don't you? And so he, go, he tells him, you know, no, this isn't going to work. And he, then he even goes further. It shouldn't work, God. We are the chosen people, not them. You're supposed to be taking care of us, and we don't have a city like this, and we, our kings don't have a palace like this. You're supposed to be taking care of us, not the Ninevites. What are you, do what are you doing? Jonah might have actually been afraid that God was going to use the Ninevites as agents of wrath against Israel. So he didn't want them saved. He wants them off the board. Jonah would rather they be destroyed than preached to. Think about this. Jesus did the parable of the Good Samaritan about the same thing. We have classes of people or groups of people that we say, no, no, those people need to be destroyed when God's saying, go talk to them. Go sit down with them.
Well, if I sit down with them, I might get killed. So what's your point? God has different priorities, and keeping you alive may not be one of them. Isn't that comforting? Go in peace. No, no, not yet. <laughs> of course, if they had to be preached to, could we send somebody else? I always think of Jonah as the other side of Isaiah. Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Jonah goes, here am I, send somebody else. So which one of these two are we most like? Oh, I got to tell you, I wake up more Jonah than Isaiah most days. I really do. You know, God bless and keep all people far away from me. You know, that, that sort of prayer. But God didn't give in. So Job went to his friendly neighborhood travel agent and booked the first ship going in the opposite direction. A storm hits the ship. The storm was sent by God, the story says. So the guys on the ship, they're all pagans. They start breaking out the handy-dandy sacrifice kits, and they're, they're breaking out all their little gods and setting them up, and they're praying. To, they don't know who they've offended, so they're just praying to everybody. One of these gods is angry. Pray to all of them. Our translations make it seem like Jonah was just asleep in the boat. No, the word there indicates he was so sick, seasick. He had given up and had just basically passed out in the boat. If you've ever been seasick, you know exactly what that feels like. Then he was discovered. And they got him, and they woke him up. They said, the storm's not going away. We've been praying to all of our gods, and none of them seem to be helping. Do you happen to have one? It's a funny story. It really is. It's a heartbreaking story, but it's a funny story. Jonah did not volunteer what he was doing on the boat. I find it interesting in the book of Jonah, the only people making sacrifices and praying to God are the pagans. Jonah doesn't. The only people looking to God for their help are the people on the boat and the people in Nineveh, not Jonah. Isn't that interesting? Um, we'll talk more about that maybe later. So the people keep throwing stuff off the, the ship to lighten the ship. Why would they throw things off to lighten a ship? If you've never been in a wooden boat back in those days, they would shove caulking and rope caulking in between the, the but it always leaks. Boats back then all leaked. And so you had a certain amount of water you knew was going to be in there. And in a storm, the waves coming over, you're getting too much water. So you've got to lighten it any way you can. You start throwing everything overboard. It's not getting light enough. So they figure some of us have got to go. Who's first? Jonah didn't volunteer. They cast lots and it fell on Jonah. Now, casting lots, is they could do it with dice. You can do it with a spinning stick. There are a lot of different ways to do it. You know, pick a card, any card. But you can almost see Jonah going, seriously. Because he knows God's got it out for him right now. So Jonah finally goes, I serve a God, and he told me to do something, but I'm doing something else. He's probably mad. And even then, the pagans didn't say, you've endangered all of us, we must kill you. No, they were trying to save his life. They were the good people. I've had people all my life say, why are there so many nasty people in the church and so many nice people outside of it? I've said, where do you want the nasty people to be? They need church.
they need to be here. I've had people say, they're all hypocrites. And I'm thinking, join us. Uh, we, this is where we're supposed to be. Well, they asked him a lot of questions about what he might have done to upset the gods. And so he told them, well, I, I, you know, he already told him he ran away from God. That wasn't enough. And then he told them, my God made the land and the sea. And they went, uh-oh. That's why he's upset in the sea. See, they, their gods were very local. The God of, in fact, the Romans had two gods, one of going out, one of coming in a door. Very local, specific gods. Oh, your God made the sea. That's why we've got the storms. Even pagans knew that gods had a big mega god, you know, capo to tutti capos, a big boss man in the sky. And they thought, your God? Oh my goodness, you're the problem. He said, throw me in the sea. They, nobly, they tried not to. Nobly, they tried to save his life. Again, it's better than Jonah would treat others. Finally, they prayed to God, and they asked God not to hate them for throwing his servant into the water. And they threw him into the water, and when Noah hit the water, the sea calmed, the men feared God, and they made sacrifices to God. They made promises to God. Jonah, on the other hand, was not doing well. This, well, we know it wasn't a whale. A whale. Um, I know some of the older versions of the Bible have Jesus saying it was a whale that swallowed Jonah. And if God wants a whale to swallow you, he can design a whale that can swallow you. But the word there just means a big beastie in the water. It could be, well, there are some sharks in the Mediterranean that grow to 25 feet and have been known in history to swallow a guy, but they, you, you don't get out. Um, there are other creatures out there that might be able to pull this off. It's, it's hard to know. Whatever it was, there was something in the Mediterranean, and it swallowed Jonah, and now he's on a completely different kind of cruise. He has, shall we say, an inside cabin. The accommodations are cramped, and he is the buffet. We can keep this going, actually, if you'd like to. At least Kathy Lee Gifford's not singing on it. That's, a, you know, they're God's merciful. Uh, but, but Jonah then prays. Sometimes we pray best when we have nothing else we can do. There's a lesson out of Jonah. Sometimes we pray best when all of our other options have been removed. Have you ever noticed that in your life? Where you've got all these other options and God just starts moving them off. Until all you've got is him. Jonah was in that situation. After a long time, the fish vomits up Jonah. I'm assuming Jonah's preaching wasn't to his taste, or I don't know. We could go on. The prophet wasn't profitable. We got, you know, got a prophet stuck in his throat. Whatever it was, he throws him up. Now, here's where the story goes wrong. Because God should have written this story in a different way. I've, I've talked to him. He's not surprised. What should have happened was Nineveh, you got a bunch of fishermen out there, this big whale beastie comes up, goes, and a prophet flies out and lands. And he's covered with seaweed, shaken, bunch of fishermen, and he goes, repent. That would have been brilliant. <laughs> That's the way that story should have been told, but no, it's not the way it's told. Whale throws him up a long way from Nineveh. 
Now, he would have been a sight. The stomach acid and juices of the shark, whale, beast, whatever, would have bleached his skin and burned it. He would be scarred. He would be pale and pink and mottled and skin broken. Very sun-sensitive, very important you get this, the rest of his life. He's not going to recover from this. He would have been bald or nearly bald because the hair would have been um, burned off. He would have lost some of the, of the strength in his limbs. He probably would have joint pain the rest of his life from being wrapped and massaged by stomach and gut muscles all that time. And God goes, remember me, Jonah? I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against them. God's not going to change his mind on this, Jonah. You had your opportunity. He said no. Jonah goes, basically, you never quit, do you? All right, I'll go. Now, I want to stop right there. It took a whale and a few days to get Jonah to do what God wanted him to do. 2,000 years ago, Jesus told us, go into all the world. Tell them about me and love everybody even your enemy, 2,000 years ago, and we haven't done it. Do you ever wonder what he's going to have to do to us to get us to finally listen? A whale took three days. I don't want a whale, but I don't know what else it's going to take. So Jonah goes and walks, and it would have taken him well over a month on painful legs, hurting from the sun, to finally arrive at the gates of Nineveh that have at the top of the gates, we know because they still exist. Uh, it's in the British Museum where we went about stealing everything and took it home. Uh, over the gates is the symbol of the city, a big fish. God does humor. <laughs> Irony, sarcasm, he's pretty good at all of it. You can almost see Jonah going, he walks in, has an interesting sermon. You would have liked it because less than 10 words. 40 days and Nineveh shall fall. Uh, some versions actually have a will be in there to make it one word longer. Uh, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. That's all he said. That's the entire sermon of Jonah in the book. And the people believed God and we don't know why. It wasn't because of Jonah's winning personality. We sang, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I think the staff of this church and the, the shepherds of this church are amazing people. But you need to know it doesn't matter who's here if the Spirit isn't here. God chooses. God does. His plans trump everything. And here's the least talented prophet in the Old Testament and he's the only prophet in the Old Testament that is successful. He turns a whole nation around. They repent. I wonder if they were between major kings at the time. And I wonder if Jonah's appearance had something to do with it. I don't know. They put on sackcloth and ashes. Even the king, oh, it goes further. They even put sackcloth and ashes on the cattle. Wow. That's taking it to the edge. 
Very impressive repentance there. They all fasted. They promised to give up their evil ways and violence, and they hoped that God would relent and not kill them. And God had compassion on them, on Nineveh, that huge, massive space odyssey type thing that dropped from the sky and destroyed every, every civilization it came into contact with. God had mercy on them. Here's what the story is about. We're starting to get it now. Everybody wants God's grace to cover them, but not the other guy. Everybody wants God's forgiveness to fall all over us, but not him. We want to be judged on our intentions. We want the other person to be judged on their actions. Let that soak in a bit. We want to be judged on our intentions. We want others to be judged on their actions. If God can have compassion on Nineveh, I don't care what you've done. He can have compassion on you. If salvation can come to Nineveh, it can come to you. And don't talk to me about drugs and sex and you know, murder or whatever else you've done. God's compassion is there for you. If you repent, you have to turn to him. But as soon as you do, he's there for you. Have you ever wondered why sometimes during songs some people raise their hands? It's because that's where their father is. And as a child, there are times where all you can do is just say, would somebody pick me up? Would somebody love me? And there are all kinds of ways to raise your hands. I know that. There's the, the fish that was this big one. There's the, I got a baby now. There's a, there, there are all kinds of them, and I, I've, I've seen them all. But you don't think like that, do you? What goes on in there? Right, come on. The, um, I've seen people do this. Don't do that. That looks too. Uh, turn it. Turn them somehow. Those that are listening in a recorder don't, uh, just the audio, don't know what I just did. Um, and I'm not going to tell them because there should be some punishment for not coming. Jonah was mega peeved here. This makes Jonah look bad. He says, 40 days and none of us shall fall, and it's not going to fall. Wait, I took a fish for this? I walked here for this? I knew it, he says to God. I knew it. That's just like you, God, always forgiving people. <laughs> always giving people one more chance. And if you think we've moved on past Jonah, I don't know, it may have been a year ago, I decided to put up a little thing on Facebook, kind of a morality gut check. I said, if you get to heaven and find out God has forgiven and saved everybody, would you feel cheated? It was amazing the number of people that said yes. After all I've done for God and after I repent, and, and it, really? What are you going to do to God? Say, that's, your standards are too low, I'm out of here. We're... We, when the people of Israel today 
the Jews celebrate Yom Kippur, they read the book of Jonah, and at the end of it, they say, we are Jonah. Everyone says aloud, we are Jonah. We need to remember that. We are Jonah too. Jonah tells God, what's the use of sending prophets and making threats if you're always willing to jump in and forgive people? Besides, if the city's not destroyed, you know one day it's going to come after us. And he says, you know, God, just kill me. Just kill me. My reputation's finished. Probably, his reputation probably looked about as good as his hairdo and complexion at that point. Jonah says, I said they'd all die, now they won't. And you, you have to wonder, where's he going to get work as a prophet after this? And God kindly whispers, do you have any right to be angry, Job? Oh, I'm sorry, Jonah. You didn't seem to mind second chances when you were in the giant halibut. I think that's a kind of fish, if you don't know. What should I have said? Cod? Uh, they're, they're, I don't know what your fish are. Catfish? That's unclean. Can't do that. Uh, look in Leviticus. Read it again. You didn't mind second chances when you were in the big water beastie. How's that? Jonah hopes that Nineveh won't keep its word or that God will see how mad Jonah is or something, but either way, he's hoping for a good destruction still. So he makes a shelter and he settles in for a long industrial strength wine. Yeah, you know how to do that. If you don't, come see me. I can throw a pity party like nobody. So God made a vine to grow quickly and give him additional shelter from the harsh wind. God still likes Jonah. I like a God that still likes Jonah at this point in the story, don't you? And then God killed the vine, and Jonah was furious. He says, just kill me and get this over with. You can almost see the people of Nineveh noticing that they didn't wake up dead that morning, and look at, over the wall at the spotted prophet yelling at the dead vine. That would have gotten your attention. God asked him, are you sure you have the right to be angry? And Jonah said, yes. God says, think about it. You didn't invest a lot in this fine. I made it. Pull back every so often. That's what Job had to learn. You didn't make this universe, Job. I did. I invested in it. You're just living in it. What did you invest in your enemy? What did you invest in the nations? What did you invest in any of this? God says, you're so upset at its loss, the loss of a vine, but you're not upset at the loss of 120,000 children. Wow. What upsets you? This world went crazy for a few days this week because a pop star that I'd never heard of licked a couple donuts. I don't care. I really don't. I don't eat donuts, so... If you're eating donuts, are you that concerned about germs in your health? Come on. But the world went crazy when people are still being beheaded and sold into slavery all over the world. World goes crazy because somebody ran for president and said something which everybody else is tweeting about. When there are hungry people 
broken people, addicts, those in pain, those forgotten, all around us. And we care more about this than that. I was in a hotel up, I was in northern Kentucky, and the hotel, closest hotel was across the river in Indiana. And they had satellite television, and that satellite wasn't real good. Because if there was a rainstorm in Florida, it went out. And you would have thought from listening to the people in the breakfast area that that was the worst thing that had ever happened to them. And I'm going, you know something? I bet I sound like that sometimes too. Lord, forgive us. By the way, God says something very hilarious in here. After he talks about the kids, he said, and think about the cows. He's doing anything he can just to shock Jonah. I don't want to kill the kids and those cows. They're wearing sackcloth and ashes. Mark, would you bring your team back up here? I'm going to ask you, this is a, a version very freely done of the Yom Kippur prayer. As we close today, I want you to think about this. Jonah is God's lesson against racism, against poor priorities, against refusal to do what God tells you to do until he removes all other options, and also about the grace of God that would immediately save Nineveh and Jonah. Rejoice when your enemy prospers because it means that the same God loves you. It is so hard to remember the lessons of Jonah. Would you stand? As we pray, oh Lord, forgive us when we are more upset at the traffic jam than we are over the fact that most of the people in the cars don't know you. Forgive us when we are more interested in the latest movie, the latest message from Hollywood, than we are in giving your message to the lost souls around us. Forgive us when we act like the people around us are the problem and that our goal is to get more and better stuff and a better reputation. Help us to remember that you love the pagans in the boat. You love the children of Nineveh and that you even love crusty, recalcitrant, unlovable Jonah. Help us to make your priorities our priorities. And remember that the sun does not rise and set because of us, for we are not the center of the universe. You are. May we never forget. Amen.